Well, years ago, in the middle of the night, my daughter woke me up, and she said some terrifying words to me. She said that there was water in the bathroom covering the floor. Now, this is one of those things that you want to get up for, right? You've got to check out, even if you're a little foggy on what's going on. So, of course, I roll out of bed, I check it out, and sure enough, that little pipe that connects the toilet to the wall is spraying water, not dripping, spraying water. And so there is water everywhere. Of course, got to get my husband to help turn that off. And as we're sopping up the towels, we think, okay, we've kind of fixed the problem until we hear the rain. You know, you never want to hear rain in your house, right? So as we walk downstairs, we are standing there going, yep, it's raining through our ceiling into our family room. That, that leak, Spewing water, covering our floors, did great damage, great destruction, uh, time, money, replacement of furniture. You know how it goes. Well, maybe you've not had a leak like that, but maybe you've had those nasty pinhole leaks. Do you know what I'm saying? They're in the walls. They're so tiny. You don't even know about them until all of a sudden water's kind of coming up or, or kind of out of the walls, and you have to figure out where is it coming from? What's happening here? Just that tiny drip going steadily can do great damage to your home. Well, we weren't even aware of either of these problems until the leak, until the water was there. That's when we were alerted to the problems in our home. Water leaks can be quick and powerful and do great damage in a moment or an hour, or they can be slow over time. Well, our words can also be used to do damage, damage to ourselves, damage to others. The words that we say or the words that we write can have a devastating effect on others. Well, our text this morning in James, we are going to dive into what James is going to teach us further about our words and how we can get some mastery and control over these devastating words. So if you have not opened up your Bibles to James 3, let's look at James 3, verse 5, the second half of the verse through verse 12, and follow along with me as I read. James says this to us. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but... No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Or can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Well, James really continues the discussion that he began in verse 1, where he addressed the teachers primarily who were speaking truth to the churches, and he 
brought up the fact that they should be careful with the powerful words that they say, and now he's going to go on for us. Even if we're not officially a teacher, we know that all of us open our mouth, speak, we teach, we instruct, we talk every day with a lot of words. And so each one of us has something that we can learn, be aware of, and work on from our text this morning. We need to take heed and make the changes necessary so that we can greater honor God with this powerful muscle that he's given us. Well, you probably remember the Maui fire in Lahaina. I think we all remember that and the devastation that it caused. I mean, what they think is that a tiny spark from a downed utility pole started the fire and then I'm sure you've seen the images, just the great blaze that consumed that whole city. There were 99 people confirmed dead from that fire, and 7,200 people were displaced from their homes. 2,200 structures were damaged and destroyed. It is said to be the most deadly fire in the United States in the last century. I mean, damage done to lives and homes and cars and stuff and people and friendships and businesses, all this devastation from that one spark that grew into a flame, which grew into a blaze. Well, verse 5 likens our word, the use of our tongue, to a fire. With just a small fire, it says, what a blaze can begin And it tells us that the tongue itself is that fire. So let's write this down for point number one as we look and think through how we might be tempted to unleash devastating words to others. Let's put that for point number one. We need to refrain from unleashing destructive words. Refrain from unleashing those destructive words, those words that start... Maybe they seem small or short or quick, much like a spark of a fire, but they can do a magnitude of destruction in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Because the tongue is likened to a fire, spreading quickly, damaging, and wild, uncontrollable. Well, the tongue, it goes on to say, is a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body and sets the course of your life. Just hearing this text is convicting, right? We know that this world of unrighteousness refers to the worldly system that we're surrounded by and that the way we use our, this muscle in our mouth is really the conduit for this evil in our hearts and the evil we see each day to come out of our mouths. It's really the escape route for these evil, destructive words. We all have sin stirring in our hearts, and what happens is it overflows right out of our mouths. And you know what? Jesus talks to his disciples about this in a passage that I think it'd be worth us looking at. If you want to turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus helps us to understand this concept of this fire, this world of unrighteousness that is leashed unleashed to others. Jesus says in verse 11, he says to his disciples and the people around him as he's teaching, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes 
out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And then in these next verses, Jesus condemns the Pharisees as blind guides. He kind of talks about the Pharisees and the problems that they have. We'll drop down to verse 15 as he continues kind of this discussion of defilement of the mouth and where this comes from. Verse 15, Peter asks that Jesus would explain this parable, and he says this, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. You know, the Pharisees, they were so focused on looking good on the outside, following the rules, cleaning things up, appearing to be righteous. They were worried about, in this text, what was eating, what was going in, and following all those rules. And you know what? Jesus says, it's not a big deal what goes into your mouth. That's not the problem here. It's the inside that matters. You can look good on the inside or on the outside, but what is brewing in your heart is what we need to deal with. It's kind of like that leak that bubbles out. That leak really points back to a problem, right? Well, when we have words that bubble out or come out of our mouth, that really is an indicator of a problem in our heart those angry words, the fits, the gossip, the mumbling, the complaining, pointing fingers at other people or the circumstances for why we say certain things. But Jesus says that it's a heart problem that each one of us has. You know, it doesn't mean that we're not saved if we have this heart problem. I mean, we might not be worth checking out. But Jesus is not saying when those leaks bubble out that you're not saved. It just means that it's something that you need to work on in you, something you need to look at and really work on. So each one of us, as James says in this book already, we all stumble in many ways, and we need to look and see what that points to that's going on inside of us. Well, back in our text, James unpacks some of these devastating effects of the tongue and how our tongue is used to do damage. And I know it's kind of like, oh, 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 it's, it's hard, it's convicting to hear this, but he, he wants to point this out to us so that we don't carry on thinking our words are not a big deal. He says that when we have our words as a fire to others and do damage, it says, he says that it stains the whole body. Stains the whole body, meaning it corrupts the entire person when we have these destructive words. And you know if you had a beautiful dress and there was one single stain of ketchup right here, that would affect the entire thing, right? One unruly comment, undisciplined comment can affect your relationships can affect all of you, can affect your mood, can affect everything about you, your reputation. Well, he also says that it's set on fire by the entire course of life. It doesn't only affect your life, 
But the direction of your life, when we are careless with our words or we engage in gossip or hurtful words, it affects the entire course and direction of our life. It changes our day, our mindset. James really presents a negative, pessimistic view of our tongue, but we can see that he ends this kind of with a power punch. What he says is all of this is affected or motivated by or the energy source behind it, he says, is hell. Did you see that there? It's set on fire by hell, the tongue. That's the energy source behind these words. The word hell uh, is actually the word Gehenna, and it would have brought up this terrible place in Israel for the readers back then called the Valley of Hinnom. And that place was despised because that was the location that child sacrifices were done. And so it was a despised location. It was a terrible spot that would come to their minds. And James is saying our sinful impulses, they come straight out of hell. Well, James doesn't give us specific words that we should pay attention to or types of words, but the Bible is full of things full of kinds of words that we should keep away from, that we are encouraged to not engage in. So I do want to focus in on a few of these as we think through how we might participate. And as James says, we all struggle with this. Well, the first one would be gossip. Gossip. Proverbs 16, 28 says this, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Well, if you've been to junior high or high school, you know this is rampant, right? Unfortunately, I don't think it ends in high school, though. I think it is too easy for us when we gain an interesting fact that maybe puts someone in a bad light to spread it on. And you think about the spreading of the fire, right? As soon as we turn and start with a spark, we're gonna get a fire and a flame, and that person might turn and tell another person. We wanna be careful we don't engage in gossip, and if you've ever been the recipient of gossip, you know how damaging that can be to your reputation, to what people think about you. So we need to be careful that that is not something that we participate in or even that we listen to, right? That as soon as maybe we're in a conversation and someone starts down that road, we can say, you know what, I don't think these are the best use of our words right now. Let's change subjects, right? That would be one way we could honor God. Well, what about another topic, slander? Slander is another area that we should maybe think through for ourselves. These would be true or untrue statements about someone else meant to cause them harm. True or untrue, but with the desire to cause harm. Proverbs 10, 18 says this, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Unfortunately, I do think with the digital age, this might be where we utter slander the most, right? It's kind of the idea of I need to speak my truth, I need to get out my thoughts, I need to share that, even if it might be harmful to another person critical, harsh words that uh, tear someone else down are not something that we should write or speak to one another. 
We need to deal with our harmful comments about our boss, about the coach of our kids' team, about our government officials, about our husbands, about our children, about that neighbor, about that coworker. I mean, the list does go on and on. We need to make sure that we are not allowing slanderous words to escape our mouths. Well, I could go on and on with a variety of other kinds of words, but I'm just going to mention briefly a few because the list is long, and I, I don't want to, you know, wear us out too much. But one other uh, concept or one other thought would be to think through our boasting words, too. Our boasting words. Proverbs 27.2 says this, Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. And I will never forget when my husband was the one to point this out to me years ago. And now, of course, that does come to my mind. You know, and I think with our digital age again, we may be tempted to post in order to boast, right? We're putting things out there in order to praise ourselves. And yet the Bible says, let another praise you, a stranger and not your own lips. We could talk about cursing, saying words, even mumbling them under our breaths. We know that in Ephesians 4.29, we shouldn't allow those words out of our mouth. Or fits of anger when we kind of explode, have a tantrum of our own. Galatians 5.20 says that we shouldn't have these fits of anger that explode out of us and come with these destructive words. The result of what we can say, of what we say, can do damage in the body of Christ, and it can hinder our witness to others and to those that we are striving to be a light to and to teach with truth and goodness. When our tongues are used to destroy others, to tear them down, it is damaging. Well, unfortunately, James doesn't let us off the hook. He continues with more verses about our tongue. So let's look at the next two verses verses 7 and 8. It says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, it says, has not been brought under submission, has not been mastered, and yet the animal kingdom has been mastered. And so we get this other picture of nature that James loves to bring into it to help us to understand. But let's write down his point this way as we unpack these verses. We need to master every form of sinful speech. You and I need to master every form of sinful speech. James says that uh, the animal kingdom has been tamed. And it's true. Isn't it amazing? Have you been to, you know, SeaWorld and seen the fact that the dolphins and the killer whales, I mean, all that they do in response. Or if you go to uh, medieval times and the horses or if you, the dog shows. I mean, it's, it is amazing. Even the fact that some people have tried to tame tigers. I mean, no thank you, right? I wouldn't go even near that, but people have tamed tigers, these wild, fierce beasts. 
Now, you know, I, I, James is using some hyperbole here. He's not saying every creature there has been tamed, but we've domesticated them. We've, we've brought them under our submission. We have dominion over the animals, and so we've tamed them. We've gotten control of the animals. And yet, he says, our tongue is not tamed. No human being has tamed the tongue. And he gives us more descriptions about the tongue. He says it's a restless evil. It's uncontrollable. It's unpredictable. It will lash out at any moment. Even one moment could be used for good, and then all of a sudden, it's used for harm. Proverbs 12, 18 says a similar idea. It says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, jabs, right? Little jabs that come out, that restless tongue that won't stay put. And as one commentator said, and I just love this, and it keeps coming to my mind, our tongue breaks out of its cage all the time. Our tongue breaks out. God's given us a cage for this, right? A teeth and a mouth to cover up our tongue, and yet it breaks out of its cage all the time. It also says that our tongue is full of deadly poison. Psalm 140, verse 3, Psalm 140, verse 3 says that certain men make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom of asps. You kind of think of the fangs of a snake going into someone, releasing that venom, that poison in there, right? There are actually two kinds of poison. One is quick and deadly, immediate, and one is slow. Kind of happens over time, but it still does the damage. We need to master our poisonous words, our quick jabs like we just talked about, and some of the ways we might use our words to kind of slowly tear down over time. We think about a short fuse that you just lash out in a moment, or a friend who maybe points out sin in our life, or a husband, right? We think about a tone we might have with our aging parents, or that neighbor who just keeps talking to us about something that we're upset about, they're upset about, right? That's that quick poison, cutting and biting. But there's also a slow poison, Sarcasm, right? Pastor Mike even mentioned it in his sermon this weekend. Those sarcastic comments that could tear down more slowly over time. Or these innuendos, even in a text, right? Passive aggressive comments. Is she saying what I think she means? I don't, is that kind of a negative thing? We're kind of confused. Jokes, certain jokes that even hurt over time. We need to be careful about our slow poison and our quick poison. Complaining or ungrateful words is what I might think about. And, you know, this morning, this very morning, we were telling our kids about um, what we're going to have for dinner tonight, what we're ordering from a restaurant that we get to eat. And one kid goes, I don't really like that, right? Yeah, me neither. We always have that. You know what I mean? All of a sudden, they start complaining. And of course, my husband and I use this as a great lesson to be thankful and people and you know don't have food in the world. Right, we did the whole thing. But it's so easy for us to see that maybe in our children, but I think it is easy for us to complain as well. Where are you tempted to complain? We have a lot of good, but 
even when things are hard, we know that a good God is still in control. And so we need to be careful about these complaining, ungrateful words. And I think, unfortunately, it's kind of almost become an okay sort of a thing because of this term venting. Have you heard that? Have you said that? Right? I just need to vent. I just need to get it out. And so let me come and let me tell you all of my problems and this and that and this other thing and this is the worst and you can't even imagine. I think that sometimes we think that that's okay. We've got to do it. And again, I love my dear husband. I, I remember when I have young kids, right? We have four and there was a time when they were, you know, five, three, one, and a baby. And I'll never forget when he would walk through the door at the end of a long day into our peaceful home. <laughs> and I would start in venting. You'll never forget the baby did this and then didn't even nap. And then the toddler, your son did this thing. <laughs> and then we, you know, I was trying to get them out to the park, but I couldn't even get to the park. You know, all these things. And, you know, he's standing there going, Hi, <laughs> you know, where's my hug? Where's my hello? And oh, it's so true. We can be tempted to just vent, complain. We've got to get this off our chest, but we don't. If there are words that are that way, we shouldn't say them. And if we are the recipient of these words, we should tell that person, you shouldn't say these words. You should stop. These are not God-honoring words. What about our anxious, hurried, snappy words? You know when you're running late and someone's kind of getting in your way and you snap at them, or you're overtired, or you're PMSing, or you're going through hot flashes, it's whatever that might be, right? And then we just lash out. It's like that sword thrust. Who's ever in our way, we, we jab at them with our restless tongue. Oh, when we're driving, even. Do we nag? Do we use our words to just tear someone down before we get what we want? We're just like that continual dripping faucet. Oof. There's so many ways that we can have a deadly poison, a restless evil of our own tongues, and we need to seek to have greater mastery and control over it. We need to get better and better, become better at controlling our words, at stopping them, and it does take considerable practice and effort and humility to do just that. But we did see in our text in verse 8 that it says, no human can tame the tongue. No human. But you know what? With God, God can help us to gain this greater mastery over our tongue. So let me give you three ways that will help us to gain greater mastery. The first one would be that we would be dependent on the Holy Spirit. We can depend on the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, you are not left alone. Amen, right? You are not left alone in this life to do this work on your own, to just try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm just gonna do better. No, we've gotta work at it, yes. The Bible is clear on that but we are given the Holy Spirit, a renewed heart. We're given God, the helper, with us to do battle in our lives, to deal with the sin. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it this way, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, were being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're growing, we're becoming more like God. And for this, 
comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is the one working in us. That should be great encouragement. You don't have to do this on your own. I do not have to do this on my own. Well, the second way we can work on mastering our words is to pray, is to pray. And it says this in Ephesians 6, 18. Ephesians 6, 18. We need to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And I think about this as a before, during, and after element of praying when we're kind of trying to gain that control of our tongue. Before we get into a situation that we know, when we're going to see that family member, when we're going to go to that workplace thing, when we're going to be in the car, when our kids all get home from school and they're starving, whatever it might be, we're going to pray beforehand and ask God, God, help me with my words. I want to honor you. And then the during element, have you been there where you're in a conversation and you know the restless evil is trying to escape? And you, you ask God, God, help me right now. Don't say that. Don't say that. Keep my mouth shut. Let me just quiet. Let me just do what honors you. We can be praying during conversations in those times. And then, of course, there's the after element, right? If we stumble, when we stumble, right? We can come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I didn't, uh, that wasn't the right thing. I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. Let me move forward. Help me to do a better job next time. And as we're more and more aware, we can be growing in greater mastery over our tongues. Well, we also need to learn to guard our mouth. That's the third thing. In order to grow in mastery, we need to guard our mouths. Um, a verse that I think you came back to this week in your study, right, was Psalm 141, verse 3. It says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We need to aim for mastery and take this verse seriously. Not everything we want to say should be said. Not everything we feel needs to be articulated. Not every frustration needs to be vented. Not every complaint must be heard. Not every problem should be shared. The list goes on. We need to put a lock, a guard over our mouths so that we only allow the right kinds of words through. And that takes great self-control. A great proverb to memorize in this area is Proverbs 10:19. Proverbs 10:19. It says when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And I love the simple rewording of this verse, which is helpful for me. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> That's what the verse is saying. If you want to be wise, Bethany, be sensible, think through and and let's guard our mouths. Let's keep our mouths shut. God uses this verse regularly in my life to help keep me from opening it, from interrupting, from talking too much, from having those careless words slip out that can do damage. Well, God has not left us alone to master our tongues. It does take considerable effort and work, but we have the Spirit to help us. Controlling the words that come out of our mouths will help us to love others better, to ask for forgiveness less, 
to spur each other on and to have better relationships. But our text goes on to say more about the tongue. James is not letting this go, not yet. He clearly wants us to see the importance just with the sheer amount of verses on the tongue. So let's look at the last three here in verse nine as we finish up. Verse nine says it this way. With it, we bless our Lord and Father with our tongues, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Well, no. You know, we know that. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Well, let's look and see how we can use our words positively for good. As we see in this text, we see the hope of the blessing that we can choose to open our mouths and use. So let's write this down for point number three. We need to choose to use our words for good. You and I, we need to choose to use our words for good. We're given choices all the time, too many choices. You know, I think I'll get an eye cream. You know, maybe it's at the time. You go online to look for an eye cream, there's a bajillion, right? And then you start searching and you're, I can't, I don't know. You just don't even end up ordering it. Or just imagine standing maybe this morning in front of your closet trying to pick out a shirt. Like, I don't know. There's too many choices. We have choices. We make choices all the time. Well, guess what? We make choices with what we say and we can make good choices. That has got to be encouraging after kind of all of this negative elements of our tongue, right? There's the hope of blessing our Verses say. Blessing is the form of praise and worship. It's the most honorable way we can use our tongue is to bless God. That's what our text brings up. One of the best, most positive ways to use our words. But then our text also brings up that cursing element, right? It's actually one of the lowest forms of speech. The curse in the Bible was often used to call someone before God and like separate them from God or, or um, to not bring blessing on them, but bring uh, something terrible, even to condemn them to hell. And Jesus says that that's not something that we're to participate in. He says that in Luke 6, 28, we need to bless those who curse you, even the ones who may speak ill of us. We need to bring blessing. Because when we bring this blessing and cursing, we're really doing two opposing things. It's a duality of our speech. It's like that forked tongue or that double-minded man that James brings up in the first chapter who's unstable in all his ways. He's doing one thing here and one thing here. And James says it ought not to be so. And he gives us four illustrations to really help us understand that a little bit better. He says, can a spring pour out both fresh and salt water? Well, springs are not as important to us now as they were back then to those reading this text from James, right? Because the spring, they needed them, that fresh water to supply their water for their towns, for their animals, for everything that they did. And he says, can a spring bubble up that fresh water and salty at the same time? Well, no, right? As soon as you put salt into the water, it's Salt water, it becomes salt water. And so what he's saying is, as a renewed Christian, 
with a new heart, we shouldn't have both the salty words, the negative words, and the sweet words. We need to have just those sweet words. The next analogies he, I'm going to put together because he says, can a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine figs? Well, we know that a fig tree produces figs, right? And a grapevine produces grapes. The one kind of tree or branch or bush is going to produce that like fruit. No plant can produce the fruit that belongs to another plant. So just like a Christian with a renewed heart should produce words that are in line with who they are. We should produce line, the words in line with who we are as followers of Christ. And the last analogy says, can a salty spring, can it make sweet water? What he's talking about here are those who are good internally will produce good speech. And those who are not good, those who have not been given a new heart because of Jesus Christ, they are not in a relationship with him, they're gonna continue to produce those salty or bad words. But if you are in here and if you have that new heart, you will see greater mastery over your words. You will be able to use your words for good more and more because that is the heart you've been given by God. You are enabled to do that as you work at it and as you grow and become more like Christ throughout your life. And this idea echoes Jesus's words in Luke 6, Luke 6, 43 through 45. Jesus says it this way, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And, on the other hand, the evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, where did we see this evil good? The mouth speaks. See the mouth right there? That is the outflow of what's going on inside us. And so it is a great encouragement that when our heart is renewed, we have the good with the good treasure, not because of the good we've done or because we're good enough, but because we are good because of Jesus, right? When we become Christians and we've got that good heart, we will produce good out of the abundance of the heart, we will be able to speak these words. That's encouraging, right? After all these verses about poison, restless, all the tough stuff, we can choose to open our words for good. And it's almost like the clouds are parting a little bit for us, right? This is a heavy text. These two together, these past few weeks, James says, look, ah, you can use your words for good, right? There is blessing that you can open up your mouth. You could help someone with your words. You could encourage them. You could compliment, thank them, spur them on, speak truth, worship God. The list goes on and on. Have you been a recipient of these words before? Oh, the, the power in them, right? When someone speaks those words that you just need to hear, it's like a refreshment to your soul. It spurs you on. It helps you to move forward, to keep going. You can make that choice. Each time you open up your mouth, I can make that choice, right? Each time I open up my mouth 
to bless and to help and to spur one another on. Proverbs 16, 24 says it this way, gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 15, 23 puts it this way, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season, how good it is. I wanna lay my head on the pillow at night and that think back to the words that I spoke, the many words, and I wanna see that those words were good, they were sweet, they were beneficial, and as our passage says, they were used for blessing, blessing God and blessing others, right? Being that one who uses our mouths for good. Well, the easiest leak we've ever had in our home was one that was quickly corrected. We saw water coming from the kitchen, and it's like, okay, here we go again. All right, all right, here's another one. I, apparently, I need to work on my pipes or something. I don't know, but this one was the easy one, right? So we started looking into it, and it ended up only being that freezer line in the back of the fridge. So, phew, 40 bucks and 30 minutes of my husband's time, and the thing was fixed. Well, as we seek to honor the Lord with our tongues, there was going to be times even as Christians, that we must deal with these small leaks, right? But we can deal with them before God. Proverbs 28, 13, Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgression, so whoever hides the sin, covers it up, it says, will not prosper. That person won't prosper, but... Who, he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. When we have that small leak, it's an easy fix. Not easy because Jesus paid for the, the sin that we just committed, but we are given the opportunity to go before God to confess, to say that was a careless word. That was a destructive word. God, forgive me for this. And guess what that verse says? We will obtain mercy. We'll, we'll be forgiven in that moment and we can begin again and move forward in our desire to honor God and to use our words for good rather than harm. Let's pray about that. God, we thank you for this text, even though we acknowledge it's a tough one. It's tough to think about how often we've opened our mouths that restless tongue in there breaking out of its cage and doing harm. And God, I just pray that even as we think through humbly how we might engage in words that are devastating to others that you would not be pleased with, help us just to be honest. Point those out to us. God, we want to be women that are more like you that grow each year. When we look back, we see we have greater mastery over our words. God, we're thankful that when we do mess up, you tell us that we can go and confess and we are forgiven and we can move forward. Help us to do that. Help us to be more sensitive to when we allow words that are harmful to come out of our mouths. And God, help us to pursue you, to walk with the Spirit, and how encouraging that is in this whole discussion that we have the Spirit 
given to us, the helper, come so that we can do this not on our own, but walking with you, in step with you. God, help us to do that. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. And I do pray that these discussions would be beneficial and helpful and that we would use our words for good even now. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.